Welcome to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. I'm Gwen Filosa. I'm a reporter at the Miami Herald. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org. Allegra Hyde, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Gwen. Now, um, let's start right off with your, your first novel, Eleutheria. I did it. Yep, you got it. Eleutheria, obviously an island in the Bahamas. Um, this this book has a lot going on. There's, it, to me, it's like almost a thriller with the plot or a little, it's exciting. Can you tell us about um, basically what people can expect? What What is it? What happens in this book? Yeah. Um, so this novel, Eleutheria, it's about a young woman who decides she wants to um, be part of a group of people who are fighting climate change. And she wants to um, uh, be an active participant in, in that fight. So she travels to the island of Eleutheria um, to a compound called Camp Hope, um, but what she finds there isn't quite what she expects. And while she's there, she's also wrestling with her own past, which um, involves doomsday prepping parents, um, a relationship with a, a Harvard professor, um, as well as uh, her past involvement with uh, Freegan activists and other folks. And um, the book has has really high stakes. The fate of the planet is is part of the story, but also the fate of um, my protagonist Willa's heart in many ways. So it's a story with with love, action, commentary, all those things. So much going on and critically acclaimed. You got the nicest compliment from Kristen Arnett, who's one of my favorites. And, um, and, and now have you been, you've been to Eleutheria, correct? So I've been to the island of Eleuthera in the Bahamas. Oh, I know it's, oh, uh, oh. I, <laughs> I named my book um, Eleutheria, um, adding that I in because I wanted to I indicate that I was kind of, the world of my novel is slightly skewed and it's, it's not exactly our world, our reality. It's really close to our reality, but it's slightly off. Um, and that allowed me to kind of play with real ideas, um, real places, but um, also use my imagination and use the space of fiction. Um, I also named the island Eleutheria because when Puritan settlers originally showed up in the Bahamas hoping to start ideal societies um, back in 17th century, um, they initially named the island or renamed the island Eleutheria. Um, and then it was eventually changed. But yeah, I have I have spent time there living, working, um, and it's an, it's an amazing place. Because you know, we're in Key West, I'm in Key West, and a lot of people here travel to the Bahamas a lot. And what is it about the Bahamas that's inspiring or that's the perfect setting or for the world that you created? What What is it about the Bahamas? I was really interested in the way the Bahamas has played such a such an essential role in the history of the Americas. And so many events have been inflected through it. And I think in a way, the story of America, which is a story of, in my mind, idealism and exploitation, plays out in the Bahamas in a, a really concentrated way. Um, whether it's Columbus showing up and mistreating um, indigenous population, whether it's Puritan settlers 
arriving on the island and then um, not fulfilling their goals and ultimately becoming pirates in many ways. Um, and then just uh, that kind of cycle of, of idealism and exploitation um, has, has continued. And I was interested in bringing um, kind of an, a, an awareness of that past into this novel, which is, is set in the near future. Um, so I wanted to think about climate change and solutions to climate change, but um, put that uh, in conversation with um, uh, historical awareness. And, and the Bahamas was um, just the perfect setting to kind of encapsulate um, that history and a, a speculative premise about the future. Now, when it comes to climate change, as you know better than I do, it's so politicized, so turned into an argument because of everything has to be in on uh, and what's it like to take that on how have uh, perceptions of climate change to me it seems like a lot of deniers have maybe moved on to other things to deny um what's your take on all that well i think you know politicians definitely grab onto an issue like climate change and use it to boost their careers in various ways whether it's through um denial or other modes but I think at the end of the day as as individuals as communities we can we can see firsthand already the the things that are happening whether it's seasons not um, acting the way they normally do whether it's more storms happening and so I think just kind of looking around at the natural world we're all kind of aware that things are getting a little weird and um, looking towards the future I think we have a we have an opportunity right now to make choices with our our infrastructure, our energy systems, our um, kind of with all the ways that we we've built a society to move forward in a manner that is sustainable. And I think it's exciting to have that opportunity, and that should be something I think that um, we we could feel good about moving towards rather than kind of clinging to crumbling systems that, that have failed us um, in the past. Because obviously down in South Florida, the Florida Keys, Key West, we, we, we're seeing the you know, flooded streets and, and um, rising, rising seas. I mean, they're right here. And, but I have talked to people who said just what you said, that there are some solutions. Cause I always think it's a topic. I'm going to be honest. I kind of, don't always read about because it just it's hard to think about yeah unimaginable and it's so real and 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 parts of it are here in south florida and we see people um you know hurricane season becomes even more terrifying because of the surge risks and um there are solutions though there is are are you an optimistic person by nature or just uh, how do you when you're not super sad about climate change how do you how do you think about the the future yeah i I I think I am optimistic um, and not necessarily not in a like it's it's all going to be OK, um, no matter what uh, kind of way in a, in a Pollyanna-ish way. But I, I think that there are there are known solutions. We know, for instance, that um, we need different sources of energy. Um, we need um, to stop extracting oil. Um, and so those solutions are known. Um, and I, I also feel hope and, and possibility just in the sense that um, 
there are so many people who really and truly care about our natural world and um, the sadness that we feel the grief that we feel comes from a place of love it comes from the fact that we we care about um, our beaches and you know our our forests and our mountains and when those things are threatened we it hurts because um, because they matter to us and uh, I think the fact that there is so much love out there for these places these wild places for um uh for these ecosystems that that gives me hope as well that there's the possibility for for solidarity for coalition building to problem solve and now this is your first novel but you have written um short stories you have a short story collection out you've won pushcart prizes um when when was the can you remember the moment you thought, okay, I can do this. I, I can get published. I can, I, a big break, so to speak. Yeah. I, uh, a moment immediately came to mind, which is when I was doing my um, MFA in fiction, I wrote a short story called bury me and I um, shared it with some, some readers and um, initially I actually got some negative feedback. People were like, hmm, this, this story is okay, but it might not go anywhere. Um, but I felt like, you know what, I'm going to submit it anyways. I'm going to send it out to literary magazines, even though I received this negative feedback. And I sent it out and um, it was accepted by actually a magazine that um, one person had mentioned specifically that they didn't think it could ever get published in. And so it, once I realized that um, those negative voices, those uh, those critical voices weren't necessarily true and that my my gut instincts had been right, that was a real breakthrough for me. And so th- that story was published and then it it went on to actually win uh, one of the Pushcart Prize that you mentioned. It was anthologized and, um, and I felt like when that happened, um, uh, a door opened both you know, career-wise, but also just um, in terms of my own sense of artistic possibility. I believe it takes such courage to to write and to put it out there. And it's such a, I mean, I'm a reporter, so it's not really the same thing. But I mean, it's, to me, it can be a lonely business. It can be a lonely road. It's not like a team effort where you're like, hey, I just thought of this sentence and this metaphor, <laughs> high five myself. Um did you grow up reading or what, what inspired you to say, you know what, I want to do this? Yeah. My, my parents really encouraged my creative pursuits. My mom was a librarian and my dad was a high school art teacher. And so there are a lot of books and art supplies around. Um, Even so I was a little nervous about pursuing an artistic career at first because I knew it was a hard road. I knew that success was not guaranteed that it can be really financially unstable. So initially I, I did try to kind of pursue other careers. When I went to college, I was like, oh, I'm going to be an economist. Um, but it just <laughs> was not for me. couldn't do it. Okay. And <laughs> um, eventually I realized that I wasn't going to be happy unless I was writing and that I wouldn't feel fulfilled. I wouldn't have a sense of meaning in my life. And that, um, so I, I actually, yeah, tried to do other things, but in the end, um, I knew I had to write. 
What did you grow up reading? Um, I'll go first. Judy Bloom, of course, but a lot of Stephen King, which inspired me to to want to read more and write. I, the guy's good. But what, what did you? I'm sure it was more like Jane Eyre. <laughs> oh, I I really loved mythology. Mm. I really loved reading um, uh, Greek myths, folklore, and I think those those stories are so um, uh, so so rich and in the way and I mean they've been passed down through through millennia you know they've made it through so many um, different generations of people that they they have definitely have something going for them that is just magic and works and I I think I just connected to these um, old tales of of how the world works and why it is how it is and um, I think that that probably infuses my writing in ways I don't understand (laughs) Did you take a lot of, uh, did you study writing? Um, did you uh, um, take writing courses? When when I was in college, I, I took a few. I liked them, but they, it was where you you kind of sat in a circle and everyone read everyone's stories and then tore them apart. <laughs> I found it kind of helpful, and uh, but it, there were people who were sad. But have you been through that experience? Oh, yeah. And it's it's really intimidating. And I think if if the wrong comment just really hits Uh you in a tender place that can really derail an artistic path. Um, So I think when I, when I work with students um, at Oberlin, I always try to have workshops that are much more constructive and that Uh kind of protect the writer a little bit more while still offering feedback. But I have, I have been through the fire. Um, My, you know, my education included those writing classes, but I also was taking a lot of um, other kinds of classes, visual art, history classes, um, uh, biology classes. And I think all of those subjects inform my writing. And what I, one of the things I love about fiction writing is just how it can synthesize so many different fields and it can bring together the, these real hard facts, but then also have that speculative imaginative element as well. Now, um, I, I like you have been a reader since a kid and I lived in the library. They would always go like, are you going to read all of these? And, and my mom would go, she is. I go and I had a stack of books and, um, uh, one time, but to me, as I, as I grew older, um, well, high school, uh, Truman Capote's In Cold Blood and Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon knocked me out and and made me want to um not just read but but kind of be some type of writer can you think of a few titles that uh that did that for you yeah I think I you know thinking of the books you just mentioned those are the kind of works for me where the the prose is just so good and the um the sentences are just so good it it um you you really just feel it almost in your body and I remember I was backpacking in New Zealand and I found a book um, by Charlie Baxter um, and in, it was in a in a hostel it was just a random random book you know there were lots of paperback romance novels and then there was this literary novel by Charlie Baxter and um, I, I probably read it in my tent like um, while I was backpacking around hippie communes and that I think that just showed me kind of like what literary fiction could do. And it was, it was really, really exciting. Um, So that was a, that was a game changer for me. And I think um, 
I don't know. There are so many books. I know. I know. It's, it's one of the hardest questions. <laughs> it's like, what kind of music do you like? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the books that had the biggest impact on me while I was writing this novel was um, The Great Derangement by Amitav Ghosh, which is a nonfiction book um, that in many ways was a kind of call to arms, I think, to fiction writers to figure out how to better talk about climate change in their works and and to not kind of ignore it or to not um, dig into it in a in a way that made climate change part of our fictional landscape, um, which in turn becomes part of our cultural consciousness. Um, so that was a, a big touchstone for me. Uh, always have to ask a process question, which most most writers don't enjoy. But uh, do you write every day? Are you a, do you have a disciplined schedule? Do you just do you outline things? Do you jot things down? When you, what what are ways that uh, what are tools that you use? Yeah, I am a big handwriter, and I know I'm discovering the the longer I teach, the more that is going further and further out of fashion. <laughs> Um, when I asked my students to write by hand the other day, they were all complaining that their hands were hurting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think their muscles are atrophied from only typing. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I handwrite out my drafts. Um, I try to always work in the morning as much as possible. Um, and it's, my process is really labor intensive. Um, doing that handwriting then typing it up. I'm a bad typer. Um, printing it out, making notes, maybe handwriting things again, reading aloud. Um, and that kind of goes on and on while I uh, go through uh, a piece of writing. Um, I think when I'm writing stories in particular, I like to try to write out a full draft all at once in one burst. Um, and then maybe it's full of holes and kind of illogical, but I like being able to sort of hold a piece of writing in in, in my head at, at once before moving forward. Um, that was harder to do with, with writing a novel. Um, so that was a bit of a, a learning curve for me. Um, but in my ideal world, I, I write the first draft in one burst. I like it. I too, there's nothing like putting pen to paper for me to write something down. It's so much um, different. It's so different to me, but my handwriting is awful. It frightens people. (laughs) It expires. I I can't even read it. So do you have like really nice hand, like a script handwriting? No, um, it's mine's, mine's pretty wonky too. It's all over the place, but it's, you know, it's about, um, I th- I really think that when we're putting pen to paper, we can kind of maybe turn off our, a certain part of our brain. And I think the subconscious, maybe this is a little woo woo, but I think the subconscious can kind of come through just that, that physical act. And, um, at the end of the day, if you're getting your words down, that's what matters, not the, the prettiness, I think of your letters. Okay. Thank you. No, I totally relate. It's just such a different, um, experience for me. Cause I, I do, I've started tapping out notes on the phone. I've joined the the modern world. <laughs> but, um, uh, now you, uh, you're, you're from New England, um, grew up in New Hampshire, correct? Peterborough? Yeah. I, well, lived in uh, Concord and Manchester. I'm not going to pronounce it like they do. And uh, as a young reporter and, re- you know, people will, I don't know why I moved. I just moved there. I was born there. Like, <laughs> my, my family's a little Massachusetts. Um, but I just got so much out of it. And I learned to snowshoe because you have to. And I hiked, just went in Rome. Um, but the, I learned so much from the people and this sort of, it's a different culture. I mean, can you talk about growing up there and how it informed your, your work? 
Yeah, I think growing up in in small town New Hampshire, I grew up in the town of Peterborough, um, meant that I I really forged strong relationships with my with my classmates, with my classmates' parents, with my teachers, and I think that that connectedness um, was something that in some ways I took for granted when I went out into the world and um, not everyone was a person I could, I could trust. (laughs) Um, So, so that was, that was really significant. Um, And I think growing up in New Hampshire, it's a place where the natural world is, is very present. You know, there's, there's trees everywhere. Um, There's black bears, scratching on our garages um there's there's just animals and the elements um in action and so i think my um appreciation for and respect for the environment comes in part from from growing up in in new hampshire it's an unbelievably beautiful place and now now i realize i was lucky i was in my 20s and i was like i don't know but um, now when i lived there peterborough was famous for not having a mcdonald's <laughs> has that changed there's still no mcdonald's and yeah. i think yeah they're they are famous for they were like fight uh, it was a legal fight or something it was very um we did it. get a dunkin donuts but it's kind of demurely set back from the road i think um that- i think it might have had to have a special sign in some way but i think you have to have a, a, a <laughs> dunkin donuts for for that and- yeah for new england yeah yeah, you have to, but and finally, um, you, you teach at Oberlin. What is it like um, to teach there at such a famous school? And and is are all of your students just you know precocious and amazingly bright? And or or I don't know, just what what is it like to teach there? Yeah, students are really wonderful. I feel bad now that I, I made fun of their their handwriting cramps. Um, it was not a hard <laughs> shot. It was <laughs> lovingly. Said. Um, because they they are they're really smart they're really curious I think students who are drawn to Oberlin tend to have a real kind of communitarian ethos that they bring Um, they're really interested in in making the world better and uh, figuring themselves out and it's a real privilege to get to be on that journey and in some small way. Um, It's also just neat to know that Oberlin has produced a lot of um, really exciting authors. Uh, I'm always opening up books and discovering that the author went to Oberlin. For instance, um, Ruman Alam, uh, I read his book, Leave the World Behind, and was totally dazzled and um, and then learned he went to Oberlin. So that was cool. That's great. And finally, I, I, I like to ask um, artists and writers, what, what are you streaming? What do, do you have? Do you have Netflix? I recommend Fear Street, all three parts. Fear Street. <laughs> Fear Street. It, it's it's R.L. Stein. It's uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to check that out. Um, no, I, I I'm yeah horror. I have a hard time with, and yet I am actually watching a, a kind of scary show, which is Severance. Um, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's kind of an office horror, um, and if you imagine what it would be like to just be stuck in a corporate office all day every day um never escaping uh if that's your if that's your idea of a true nightmare then (laughs) this show will be powerful for you because it is for me (laughs) well you you definitely saw squid game right 
I I was too afraid of it. <laughs> it's terrifying. I wouldn't recommend. Um, and The Crown. I tried to watch The Crown, and it's tricking me into learning history, and I I don't appreciate that. Um, you must yeah. watch The Crown, right? I I actually ha- have not. You're like when I write and read books. I'm just <laughs> no, I watch a lot of TV. Don't worry. <laughs> That's awesome, Allegra Hyde. Thank you so much for joining me. Got to get you down to Key West to uh to, to yeah read or just take a vacation. We won't make you work. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Kristen Norman, thanks for joining me. Hey, Gwen. Hey. Um, I've, I've been watching your work for, for several years now. Uh, you do stencils. You do um, uh, kind of graffiti art. You also make a lot of other things. Tell us about your work. Yeah. I've been watching your work for a couple of years now, too, Gwen. Uh, right. we, we've been hanging out. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I guess you could lump me into the mixed media artist category um yeah I love spray paint I love um I draw and create my own stencils like with a soldering tool and piece of plastic and cut it out and then um have these fun images that I get to use again uh and again which is which is cool to play with and I also like to do um you know brighter colors um resin epoxy resin as a a top coat and um yeah so I've been I've been grinding at this art thing since I was five years old um and it has definitely evolved in my 36 years on this planet so yeah and and your work has appeared at the studios of QS at a fusion gallery you're a regular at the QS artisan market and other other spots around the keys. When I think of your work, I think of the uh, the Cardi B, the the, the woman popping bubble gum, the Wizard of Oz characters you do, but also you you have this uh, sort of um, a very confident pro woman uh, air to it all. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah, we can call it feminism. Okay, okay. Fem- <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't pro woman? Um, yeah, we could call it, we could call it feminism. Uh, and I would consider myself to be a, um, a feminist and that is expressed in my art commonly. Um, so yes, there are definitely themes like for a fusion gallery, I had like a, a fun, like dominatrix, um, theme going on, um, at that, for that show, um, all kinds of, um, and then I also will, focus in on incorporating um empowering messages with art as well so yeah great and what uh, what inspires you what are your influences I mean obviously we, you know we talked about um feminism we talked about uh you know um the images that you like and and uh, what 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 influences you well you know it is it's life uh, I know that sounds kind of like kind of basic but it's true like 
life experiences influence me. I'm very much, um, uh, for me, art is a form of uh, reconciling the world around me. And I use art as a medium to express um, my own observations. I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm inspired both by struggle and victory. Um, and I think that that's expressed. I'm also inspired by um, spirituality and different, um, you know, m- mythological um deities so to speak um you know from from different religions um so i i mean it really is the the world around me that that i i take in and i filter through and i get these images in my head uh i think other artists probably understand exactly what i mean by that is like i get this image in my mind and then i i just have to like create it um and I think that's yeah so that's I think where the inspiration comes from and um I mean when I think of you I think of uh the the image of um the the church in Bahama village after Hurricane Irma the the cross at the top of uh I believe it's the AME church yeah. um it was it was a little bit chipped away and you have a uh, a stencil of that and it's it's beautiful but it's like all at once kind of like history hope and yet struggle uh-huh yeah i i thought that was just like after irma and then i took a picture on my cell phone and then created a stencil from that that image where it was like this church um i think it also had received some some wind damage like there is um boards on the the windows as well at that time but the cross just had that one side of it nicked off. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's one of my favorite images. That image was at the studio uh, on a piece at one point in a show. Yeah. And you also had the baseball bat. You were part of the play ball show at the studios, tons of baseball bats, people yeah. uh, painted and designed or uh, turned into art. Yours, yours had a special message. Well, it said smash the patriarchy because it was a bat. <laughs> so. It was, it was stunning. And it was, uh, uh, I don't, someone sent me a picture of it. I was like, yeah, I know her mm-hmm. really knocked out by it. How did that, I mean, yeah. how did you decide on that? It was very like the second I saw the bat, I was like, oh, I know what to do here. <laughs> it was not like a lot of thought process, but that was like, it just was like smash the patriarchy. And in fact, I thought it was almost too like, obvious um and so I like I asked um somebody like is this a too obvious like idea and they're like that actually never occurred to me I don't think it's obvious at all which is probably why you should do it (laughs) that that is so cool because yeah it wasn't an obvious thing to me I thought it was really uh uh smart and uh creative and and um and when when you're choosing work to do how do you balance the hey I want people to like this and pick it up and I want to maybe make people think a certain you know about certain things or or is there a balance do you when you're making something are you like "Mm, I hope people like it I think um I think this is like every artist's um challenge who wants to like actually be paid as an artist um because there are things uh, one of my art like mentors um super like talented 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 
she makes her like oil painting very specific detailed like crazy talented in that way but she makes her living from stained glass boxes that she makes and sells at the big pine flea market like you just and I I was talking to her and she's like there comes a point in your career as an artist is like you you can do the 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 pieces absolutely and but you for most of us uh who want to you know make a living doing this you have to you got to paint a flamingo no offense to anybody that likes flamingos um but flamingos are great but they're you got to paint a flamingo we live in the keys you know that people want a flamingo um they want to see a palm tree they want to see so you know i incorporate some of those aspects but i'll tell you um when I do, when I focus solely on, like, I, I have a lot of respect for my friend that um, does the stained glass work. Um, for me, that's, that's not a choice I want, I'm, I want to make. Um, and so I, yes, I do paint, I, I paint flamingos from time to time, um, but it's not, um, I add mohawks to them or like, I, I do, I do my spin on them. Like, I just, I can't bring myself to just, um, yeah. So I, I don't, when I create a piece and I think, oh, this is going to sell. Sometimes it doesn't, mm. or I'll create a piece and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to buy this. And then somebody buys it. So I don't know. I, it comes back down to like, who am I really painting for? And if I'm focused on like, staying true to my craft people tend to buy it people tend to like it um and when I when I go too far off to like trying to think what specifically do I think people want to see I don't know it's the same with writing yeah uh, journalism sometimes I mean a lot of times it's you're not not sure what what, what audience you're gonna hit because when I think of your work it was like visiting you at the booth at the um QS artisan market near Higgs Beach uh, the other day, it was, it was like, it, your stuff's fun. It's super fun. It's like, there's My Little Pony and there's um, the, the ones that say Savage and, the, mm-hmm. and the, the different images you have. The Dorothy from Wizard of Oz are amazing. They're, these, they, they're very um, accessible. They, they have a lot of personality. But then if I look close, it's like there's one that says, hey, you know, there, there's that feminist message or that maybe message of someone who has been hurt and vulnerable, who is, who is uh finding courage and um that's I just think that's amazing you can you can have all of that in one booth yeah (laughs) it's a lot I'm a lot sometimes uh it's a lot in one booth but um yeah thank you yeah and um you are at the, the artisan market there's one more I believe April 24th it's the last one of the season um so mark your calendar folks uh april 24 10 to 2 out there by uh, at indigenous park the, the wildlife center so much fun i had like brisket and then i like looked at art oh it's, i love it yeah um, a fun um uh event to be a part of it really is and wanted to, to to talk to you about your background you hail from louisiana you grew up in um is it pennsylvania too yeah, I didn't. I didn't forget. And you've been in the keys for a while now. How, how has the keys shaped your art or informed it, or inspired you? I've been in the keys for twelve years, mm-hmm. um, and 
I think how the keys, one thing I love about the keys is that we really do have the freedom to just show up however we show up. Um, and I think because I was able to do that in art, you know, I, I, I wasn't forcing myself to like paint palm trees or um, something that is not true to, to my craft. And I think the keys allows me to do that. And, you know, I, the keys have influenced me, you know, even just like the church on Whitehead street that you were mentioning. Um, like I, I look at the, the landscape of the keys and, um, you know, it, it does inspire me. We live in a bright, happy place. Most of you know, it's a little magical chain of islands. And, you know, I, I know I've done my own personal healing in the keys uh, from a lot of different life things. And I, and I think that that has uh, transferred onto the art and how it inspires me too. Great. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for, for taking the time. And how can people reach you on uh, Instagram? Is that okay. Instagram's my main, my main jam these days. Um, I'm also on Facebook, um, but Instagram or Facebook is how you can find me. Okay, I'll put the links in the, in the description. And uh, I wish you continued success and uh, I hope we talk soon. I wish you continued success as well, Gwen. <laughs> thanks for listening to we're not finished a podcast presented by the studios of key west the studios is a leading art institution in south florida It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org.